0: This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.
1: Hello, my name is Susan Prosnitz. I'm the Executive Director of the Rappaport Center for Law and Public Service here at Suffolk University Law School. We're continuing today with our podcast series, and we are featuring Professor Chris Dearborn. Professor Dearborn is an Associate Clinical Professor of Law here at Suffolk. He runs our Suffolk Defenders Clinic and also teaches trial practice and state constitutional law courses. So thank you so much for being with us here today, Professor Dearborn.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: We are going to discuss in today's podcast an issue that has recently received significant media attention here in Massachusetts, specifically the issue of the release by the Massachusetts Parole Board of Dominique Sinelli and the subsequent killing of a Woburn police officer, allegedly by Mr. Sinelli, Professor Dearborn is going to talk a bit about the incident and what it means potentially for change or no change within the parole board system and perhaps with legislation here in Massachusetts. So I'd like to start, Professor, by asking you whether this incident warrants an investigation. As we know, the governor ordered an investigation in late December regarding this incident and the granting of parole to Mr. Sinelli. And my question, is such an investigation appropriate?
0: I think an investigation is appropriate. Anytime you have a tragic incident like this that results in somebody's death, where there are objectively some things to point at that may have gone wrong, I think an investigation is warranted. In this specific instance, the district attorney's office was not notified of the parole hearing, which is required. That in and of itself lends support to some level of investigation. My only concern is that the scope of the investigation be appropriate and limited to finding out initially if something was incorrectly done in this case.
1: So my follow-up question to that then is, what would warrant a broader investigation or a look at the system by which our parole board operates and makes decisions to grant parole?
0: If there was information out there that could be verified that uh, there were systematic flaws, in the parole system. Uh, in other words, not just an occasional, albeit in this instance very tragic mistake, but a series of mistakes that warrant an investigation. And one or two or even a handful of high profile recidivist acts, uh, I don't think in and of themselves justify an overhaul of the entire system. So if they do this investigation and they find out information that leads them to another place, then maybe it would warrant a further investigation. But right now, I think that wouldn't be warranted.
1: Now, let me ask you a question that's probably on many people's minds. Do you think this situation was avoidable?
0: That's a, a great question. Even if the only, objectively, the only mistake that can be verified right now is that the district attorney's office wasn't notified, So even if they had been notified and had vehemently opposed granting parole, that doesn't guarantee that this gentleman wouldn't have been paroled. So I think it's a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking and speculation to ask that question. Um, If it turns out that there was bad information, misinformation, or uh, good information was ignored by the parole board, then maybe uh, somebody could say the situation could have been avoided. But I think the danger is attaching more systematic significance to one isolated incident.
1: But that said, sometimes an incident like this does call into question whether changes are appropriate. So let me ask you a few general questions. Do you think the parole system in Massachusetts needs an overhaul, number one? And number two, looking at this specific incident, do you think that the parole board members at large should be asked to resign or should be terminated? What are some of the changes that you think are necessary or perhaps not necessary, given the incident of late?
0: I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit on the answer to this question, Susan, and and that is if more information comes out through this investigation, I might have a slightly different take on this. But based on what I know now, I don't think it's appropriate to necessarily ask all the members of the parole board to resign. The mistake that was made here, the only clear mistake we know of is not notifying the district attorney's office. And somebody's responsible for that. And there may be an argument that that person should face some repercussions. But in terms of forcing all of the other members of the parole board to resign because they voted to parole this gentleman, this was a guy who had been incarcerated for approximately 30 years, maybe longer, had been denied parole on numerous occasions. And so they had a, a set of data in front of them when they decided to grant him parole And that information is never going to be perfect. But there are thousands of people who don't get paroled all the time in the system. And so just to say, based on one case, that they are not doing their job properly or because of a tragic incident, and and no bones about it, this was tragic, that they all should lose their jobs, I think is, not to dehumanize what happened here, is an overreaction to the situation Uh, unless we uh, unearth more information based on the investigation that Governor Patrick's going to do.
1: As I'm sure you're aware, a tragedy like this brings forth many opinions about whether we need to change our statutes here in Massachusetts. My next question for you is, do you think it makes sense to expand lifetime parole and to eliminate the opportunity for parole for certain repeat violent offenders?
0: Expanding the concept of lifetime parole for repeat offenders, I don't have a, an issue with at all. I think what you're talking about, you have to remember that parole in its essence is a supervision and monitoring system. So if you get rid of parole and people who have committed serious crimes can just wrap up and not be paroled, then when they wrap, unless they have probation as well, they're not going to have any supervision or monitoring. So one of the angles that people need to, to look at in a situation like this is, Parole has some aspects to it that are good. It's supervision for people who have committed very serious offenses. The second point that I think is really important to answer your question is drawing lines in the sand about who is and isn't eligible for parole is a dangerous precedent. Every situation is different. Every set of circumstances is different. Everybody's profile is different. Everybody has done a better or worse job at rehabbing. And that is why parole is discretionary, and that's why you go in front of a parole board Um, And my fear, if there is a line drawn in the sand that said, based on these charges or having a combination of a certain number of felonies, you would categorically have no parole available to you, is missing the point of what an individualized justice system is. It's no different than a judge setting an individualized sentence or setting an individualized bail determination. Those decisions are made every day, and some of them are incorrect. People do make the best choice they can based on the information they're provided. So I'm not in favor of establishing legislation that draws a line in the sand that eliminates parole because there's a lot of value for a lot of offenders in having parole.
1: So turning now to a question around transparency and accountability, do you think that the votes of the individual members of the parole board should be made public? And what is the standard practice in other states?
0: I'm torn on the answer to this question, Susan, because... I think accountability is an important issue for any decision of this magnitude, especially when you're making the decision to parole or not parole somebody who has previously committed a serious offense. But you don't hear anybody complaining about all the people who are denied parole and putting the decision of the parole board under a microscope when that happens. If there's going to be a microscope, perhaps it should be for all similar decisions that go in in both directions. The counter-argument to making their individual votes public is that there may be a safety issue, one, and two, that there may be political pressure to deny parole when maybe, objectively, parole was appropriate. The safety issue is inherent in a lot of other similar positions, like being a judge as well. They make decisions that might subject them to safety issues, but they tend not to do it in some of the high-profile cases where you see someone who may be convicted of second-degree murder having a parole hearing and having the family of a a victim there saying, don't parole this individual. The other issue is the political dynamic. Our judges, contrary to our parole board members, are, are appointed and have their jobs, until 70 Massachusetts, absent extraordinarily poor behavior. And so it's essentially tenure until you're 70. Parole board members are appointed for shorter terms and can lose their job. What we don't want is we don't want a system of people making those decisions who feel like they have to kowtow to political interests.
1: Can you talk a little bit about other states and, and how other states are handling this issue?
0: It's my understanding that at least some other jurisdictions individual members' votes are public information. So to circle back, I'm not sure how I come down on this. I think there's good arguments both ways.
1: So, Professor Dearborn, my final question for you is, do you think there's a risk of an overreaction to this tragedy in terms of assessing the parole system and making recommendations as to change?
0: Absolutely, and and there's no question this was an extraordinarily tragic situation that warrants, as I mentioned earlier, some investigation But any time we allow emotions to dictate a systematic change, I think we're inviting problems, and I think you need to step back. It's not that dissimilar to what happens with the death penalty debate in our Commonwealth on a regular basis. When there is a tragic, horrible murder, the death penalty debate resurfaces, and it resurfaces on an emotional and visceral level. Right now, there is so much emotional response to the tragic death of Officer McGuire as a result of this parole decision, that it's hard for people to step back and be dispassionate and rational about what should and should not happen. and The parole system here and everywhere else is not perfect, but it's, it's a necessary system because remember, at its essence, we're talking about providing supervision to people. And so if you eliminate parole for certain individuals, you may eliminate the only real possibility for them to transition back into society.
1: Terrific. I would like to take a moment to thank Professor Dearborn for being with us today. I think his comments have been incredibly helpful as we all attempt to make sense of this recent tragedy.
0: This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.